Today, we're going to hear about one man's crusade for change at the MBTA. It wasn't easy, and it took a long time, but our guest kept making his case week after week until finally he prevailed. Welcome to the Codcast. I'm Bruce Moe of Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined by Richard Prone, who represents Duxbury on the MBTA Advisory Board. Welcome, Richard. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. You have a lot of experience in the railroad industry. Talk a little bit about your background. Well, I hired out uh, on the Penn Central Railroad in 1969 as a brakeman. And two years later, I was uh, promoted to a uh, locomotive, uh, assistant locomotive engineer, which was basically a trainee. And in 1973, I became a full-fledged locomotive engineer, and I've worked on Penn Central, Conrail, Amtrak, MBCR, and uh, the latest uh, commuter rail outfit. So uh, it's, uh, you know, I spent my life literally, you know, most of my life on, in, the, in a locomotive, if you can believe it. <laughs> and you're retired now? Yes, I've been retired 10 years. Uh, I retired at age 60, hired out when I was 20. So uh, I've been all over Massachusetts and, and Connecticut and ran a cellist to New York and uh, commuter rail, freight trains over the Berkshires, you name it. So I, I really have a lot of experience, and that's the reason why I'm, I'm trying to get things done on the commuter rail end. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. You've, you've pushed for a number of changes at the T over the years. Let's start with your most recent success, pushing back the departure time of the last trains leaving from South, South Station for the South Shore by about an hour. So they leave at about 11.30. What got you focused on that? Well, the fact is uh, the railroads were very good railroads that they put in down here. And keep in mind, we went out trains uh, June 30th, 1959. They discontinued all uh, old colony trains, which included the Greenbush Line, the Middleborough Line, the Kingston Line. And uh, so after 38 years, the trains came back to the uh, Kingston and the Middleborough lines, and 48 years, they came back to the Greenbush line. And they were very, very good railroads, but whoever put the schedules in, uh, you know, back in 2007 for the Greenbush and put the schedules in for the, uh, old, the old Colony lines, which are the Middleborough and the Kingston line, they did not, uh, the last trains were all leaving Boston prior to 11 o'clock, and it, they're basically, uh, you know, if you can't, uh, see a ball game or a concert or a play uh, with a 10 p.m. departure uh, out of Greenbush and a 10.30 out of Middleborough and a 10.40 out of, uh, out of Kingston. There's really no use of riding the train evenings at all. So uh, that's why I got involved. And was this something that you personally experienced or you just felt like, uh, uh, you know, riders were being deprived of the ability to take a train in and out to see something in Boston? It was just common sense. I looked at it as common sense. Uh, the railroads uh, cost $1.2 billion back in 1990. Today, they'd probably cost $3 billion, $4 billion. But they're very, very good railroads. They uh, all have long, high platforms, and uh, they're overbuilt, which is great for anybody. Any engineer would tell you they love an overbuilt railroad. So that's uh, you know, very heavy rail and very nice, uh, smooth ride, all welded rail. So the bottom line is, I'm sitting back in my home, and I'm thinking, like, boy, I'd love to go to a ball game tonight, but you know what? I'm going to have to drive 28 miles to Braintree. That's one way, and uh, it's not fun 
driving on Route 3 uh, right between exits 10 and 11 just since January 1 in my town, we've had 60 accidents, some of them fatal. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just not a good thing not to use the, the, uh, your assets. And we have a wonderful rail system on the South Shore, so you have to be able to use it. So let, let me get this straight. The, the trains left, you know, sometime between 10 and, uh, 10 and a little, maybe 1040 to go back to the South Shore. So you wanted to push their d- departure date back uh, roughly an hour to about 1130. That's correct. Uh, the Greenbush was pushed back from, uh, since their last departures, Monday to Friday were 10 p.m. Uh, that makes it 11.20 p.m. seven days a week. So that was the one we had to push back the most, uh, an hour and 20 minutes, uh, Monday to Friday. It, on weekends, it left at 10.55. And the uh, Kingston line left at uh, 10.40, seven days a week, and the Middleborough line left at 10.30 seven days a week, and that's good for about six innings in a, uh, a, a Boston Red Sox game. Or So basically, with the way they're, they're going to be set up uh, starting in the fall, there's really not much you couldn't attend in the city, uh, and we're going to be, uh, you know, tweaking the inbound trains to make them more compatible with a, uh, an evening out. So uh, it'll, it'll be uh, well patronized, I feel. So it sounds very reasonable. Um was there a downside to making the shift? Because this is not adding any trains. It's just sort of reapportioning when they come and go. That's correct. Uh, the only downside that I can see is uh, the MBTA does not want to put any more trains on, at least right now. They do in the future. Uh, but the fact is that the gap is going to be a little bit wide, say, between the second to last train and the, uh, and the last train, but uh, it's, it's certainly going to be an, an advantage over what we have now. It'll allow us to use the, the commuter rail for evening entertainment in Boston. So uh, I cover the fiscal and management control board meetings a lot. Uh, for those of our listeners who don't know, they meet practically every Monday. And in my memory, you've been coming for forever to those meetings, asking them politely to make this change to the schedule. Tell me, when did, it, when did you start making this pitch to them? Well, when the, uh, the fiscal management, uh, to the fiscal management control board, the FMCB, uh, that was right when they started up. And uh, I've been, they usually have uh, three or four meetings a month, uh, except the summertime, they'll have one a month. But I've probably been to at least 60, 70% of the meetings and delivered written comment and uh, got before the microphone and uh, delivered the, the oral comment, which uh, live streams on uh, TV. So it's just, uh, you know, I'm retired, and uh, it's just something that I have the time now to, to put more hours in uh, to get the, uh, the goals that we wanted to accomplish. So started when they started was 2015? So you, you've been- I'm not sure, but it's been a very long time. I know that we've... <laughs> I, uh, I kind of know the way. I could probably walk the route blindfolded to the transportation building now. So, so what took so long? Well, the T is, keep in mind, I spent my life on a locomotive. I, I didn't work for a corporation uh, per se, but I couldn't understand why changes were so slow to come, to come by when to me it was just common sense. And so, uh, you know, I don't want to hear about 
you know, there's no one riding the, the evening trains. I don't want to hear about there's no one riding the weekend trains. And, and that's what I was hearing. And between the fares and, and the schedule, you know, they wouldn't ride them. I even made that announcement many times at the meeting. I said, none of, none of you people would ride these trains when they need blame the public for not riding them. So, uh, but we've made some, uh, some major adjustments. And, uh, but nothing, uh, you just can't walk into a meeting and say, I want this and I want that. You have to be persistent and you have to make sense. You can't be outrageous on your cost. You know, the, you know, you know, you can't just say I want ten billion dollars worth of this, that, and the other thing. But this was such a no-brainer when it came to uh, what you got for just pushing these trains back. It was uh, to me, it was just I had no idea what the delay was. But uh, one day they surprised us and say, you know, uh, we're going to put them on. So it was, uh, and everyone knows now. So I don't think they can backtrack at all. So they they surprised you. There was even a little hiccup there at the end, though, right? I mean, after years of appearing and making this pitch. It certainly was. I, uh, Dan Grabowskis, who used to be the GM of commuter rail on the T, uh, he thought that it would be good to get the towns together and uh, see if they wanted these later trains. And uh, Paul Reagan, the executive director of the MB, uh, of the uh, Citizens Advisory Board or the uh, MBTA Advisory Board said that uh, we'll do that and we got 11 online towns to attend a meeting in Hingham and uh, plus four other towns sent in letters of uh, you know agreement that they would like the later trains so it was unanimous and then after actually the word was out pretty much uh, the day of the meeting I think it was May 3rd not too long ago, uh, Paul Reagan told me prior to the meeting that they were backtracking on this, and they said they might give us a pilot program in the fall, which I wasn't too happy, and neither was uh, Paul Reagan, and I just couldn't understand why. And uh, so I, for the first time ever going to these meetings, I, I, I just forget my script. I used to read it to keep under the two minutes, but I just... Uh, I. I looked at them all in the eye and I just said, what is going on here? And Paul Reagan actually kicked off the uh, public comment period. He was speaker number one and he was not happy at all. And then by the next week, uh, I got a call from Paul at nine o'clock in the morning that the, uh, he and the general manager of the T, uh, Steve Popdak, had, had talked and they were going to uh, start the trains in the fall. So I was a happy camper then. So it's a so you, you mentioned you didn't want to hear about low ridership on the trains. But, and I've ridden, not the, to the South Shore, but I've ridden some trains on the weekends and at night, and they're pretty sparsely populated. But it seems like, given that, you'd want to try whatever you could to increase ridership, make it as easy as possible, make it as attractive as possible. Did you ever get an explanation of why a, a later departure date from South Station was a problem? Somehow uh, they thought that there was a gentleman's agreement, uh, that nothing written, that there would be no train whistles after midnight on the South Shore, which is, is kind of crazy. I mean, the Greenbush Line is one of the only uh, lines in the United States, commuter lines in the United States, that has the trains, the diesels, do not have to sound the whistle on the 26, any of the 26 crossings 
because they're all FRA exempt. And that means that they're special crossings that have median strips or metal detectors between the gates that would alert the engineer uh, that they uh, they have an obstruction up ahead that would go to his uh, cab signal system, in-cab signal system. So the bottom line is it was, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing we've got these trains, but I could never understand why it took so long. So one of the other things you've pushed for is this weekend fair, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. Well, that's an adventure in itself because uh, <clears throat> back in, uh, I think it was 2012, 2013, uh, for some reason, Governor Patrick just made the announcement that the, uh, that weekend service was going to end in a couple of weeks on the uh, Kingston-Plymouth line and on the Greenbush line. And, and I'm saying, what? I thought I was hearing things. And it turned out that in 2012, uh, they got rid of the uh, family fairs. And that was the only thing that made, uh, it was affordable. And, you know, it cost like $31 for a round trip for a mother and three kids or something like that, you know, teenagers. And then when they, when they got rid of the family fairs, everyone stopped taking the train weekends and because of the cost. And where I live, uh, I use Kingston Station. It's a Zone 8 fare. It costs $23 per round trip, and that means that if you had three teenagers, 12 or older, plus yourself was going to cost you $90. If you had four, if you brought your husband around, it, it, would, it would cost $130. And that's completely unaffordable, and you know where that money goes. That does not go to the, uh, the MBTA. That goes right into the gas tank, that $31 now. So they, uh, Patrick put them off, and I went around to 11 town halls on the South Shore, got the boards of selectmen to uh, actually the uh, yeah, Board of Selectmen to take a vote and to write Mass DOT that we did not want to be the sacrificial lamb here when it came to losing our weekend service. They were brand new railroads. They cost $1.2 billion. And the fact is that uh, after all these letters reached, uh, Rich Davies, I believe, was the chief of MassDOT at that time, after they reached uh, MassDOT, uh, they put the trains back on again. and then. I was comfortable for a while, but I was, I was still pushing for, for you know, family fairs to return. But then a few years later, uh, when this FMCB uh, started, uh, you know, being basically holding the purse strings to uh, the MBTA's budget and everything, I started going to these meetings and uh, had a gentleman from the FMCB who actually uh, served as a general manager for a while on the MBTA. And BTA, he said that he was going to stop all weekend service all over the MBTA commuter rail system, which is about a 400-mile system, because it was, quote, the highest cost per passenger of any of the MBTA services. So I just said, you know, just, you just don't get it. And I had been handing those Chicago Metro Flyers, which is basically the weekend pass. That's what they do in Chicago. It was a... Uh, $8 at the time, $8 ride all weekend, first train Saturday morning to the last one Sunday night for $8. And I kept pushing that. And finally, I, I printed about 20 color flyers off the internet for Chicago Metro. Uh, and I said, this is what you should be doing. The typical commuter rail train running around out there on weekends has 800 seats and you're carrying 30 or 40 passengers. So empty seats translates into lost revenue. 
And if you want to get people back on the trains again, dramatically reduce your cost per passenger, why don't you just do what Chicago does? And lo and behold, uh, after it seemed like years of this type of, uh, you know, pleading with them, I, uh, I got a call from Paul Reagan of the advisory board one morning, and he says, you won't believe it. They took the weekend pass. So, so the weekend pass is now $10 for ten unlimited travel uh, Saturday morning through Sunday night. And I think if you're, uh, you can bring two kids with you with a single pass, right? Two kids under a certain age. I forget what age. <clears throat> yeah, two children uh, under 12. Under 12. And uh, that's per adult. So if you had parents there, you could bring four children under 12 if you wanted to. But it's, uh, it, it's, it's affordable, and people can use it uh, not once. They could use it twice if they wanted to go in both days for two different events. And keep in mind the Zone 8 fare from Kingston to Boston right now is $23 round trip for one round trip. So this $10 right all you want on any line you want is, is quite a bargain. And it really, um, it actually is an interesting um part of a debate that's going on about the best way to get people out of cars. Um, some people say what we need to do is make it more expensive to drive in a car so that the cost of taking the train will be less. Others say, let's make the cost of going in the train less or almost, I mean, a Boston City Councilor has urged making the tea free so that people will have this incentive to get out of their car and and hop on the train. And this seems like a perfect example of, of sort of that debate. And um, by giving a $10 fare, you get people to think, well, what am I going to do this weekend? And maybe I'll try and take the train to the beach, or I'll go somewhere by the tr using the train rather than hopping in the car and getting in traffic and what have you. I'm sort of curious, um, and this, this happened, and so far, uh, if my understanding is correctly, it's, it's working pretty well. The revenue is up for the T, and ridership is up on the weekends, right? Sure. Yeah, it's up. Uh, first six months, it was up like almost 5%. And uh, since they're putting in positive train control, which is fairly disruptive, they're doing it one line at a time, it's amazing that it was up that, that much. And the fact is, when you cut your fares by 60 or 70 percent, and you still have a revenue increase of 5 percent, it shows that there's a lot more people riding the train. Yeah, and, and, and that's all good. That's, that's what they should be about. Uh, even, if, even if they're still not full... And there's still a cost to doing this. I mean, that's sort of why you build a public transit system in the first place, right? Yes, and uh, it's it'll catch on, I'm sure, more and more uh, as you know, word of mouth. Uh, I I keep an eyeball on stations around me, and there's many more people uh, drop-offs with uh, not necessarily parking there, but dropping off three or four people going into town, and uh, so that's why. You know, the schedule kind of interacts with the fare. You want to be able to use that weekend pass and have, a, have an option of going into Boston for, you know, for $10. You could go in, like I say, you could go in for a, a Red Sox game on a Saturday and you could go see a concert on a Sunday. And it would just cost you $10 for two round trips. For one person, it would cost you $45, $46. So, so with these two experiences, the $10 fare and the later service between uh, South Station and the South Shore, w what sort of lessons do you come away from? And I mean, you're, you're, 
in a sense, an advocate for greater use of the T and commuter rail. Uh, but it seems like you're, well, you're dogged about it, but it seems like it's, a, it's sort of a tough slog. Is, is, the, is the agency open to change, do you feel? Well, I don't want to call it a secret society, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's very hard to penetrate the different layers of bureaucracy in the T. And, uh, but my position as a, an MBTA advisory board representative from Duxbury greatly enhances uh, the, it's not power, but I'm, I'm my town's representative, official representative. And the MBTA advisory board has uh, basically room for one person per town in the entire state. So I felt that the position as, as a representative of my town would give me some leverage on persuading, uh, you know, the MBTA to, to make to make use of their $1.2 billion investment. And it doesn't make any sense to, you know, to be slogging along Route 3, stop and go for 20 miles if you can get on a train, just like I did this morning in, in, in 55 minutes. Um, I started off in, in Kingston and ended up at South Station. So it's a great way to travel. It just has to be affordable. And the fact is that in the future, I hope we get more frequent trains because that's the number one complaint I hear for the most part is... Uh, you know, even my daughter, she when she goes into town, she of course she's a lot younger and doesn't want to. Uh, sometimes she'll drive to Braintree because if she ever misses the last train, then she's you know has to wait two hours for another one or something. So it's a uh, we're going to get there eventually, but it, it takes money, and I'm not going to go out and crusade for money for the T. They've got you know a lot of state reps and everything else, uh, but they do need money. And they've got to get it from somewhere. And it's not just the railroad. It, it's the, you drive down any type of back road, highway, and, and the potholes. I've already replaced my front end on a car that only had 20,000 miles because I'm, I was banging too many potholes. So there's a lot of work to be done on infrastructure. And the, the commuter rail system is, you know, infrastructure-wise, is in terrific shape. It's uh, well-maintained and... Uh, with the exception of the locomotives they bought from Boise, Idaho, which are breaking down far too often, but the, the infrastructure itself, the stations and the track, is in great shape, and uh, it's, it's, it's good they're taking care of it because it, it cost them a lot of money to put in. And real quick, I want to ask you about two things that are sort of on the horizon with commuter rail. One is South Coast Rail, which is just the governor has filed through on a campaign pledge from his first-run uh, from his successful run for governor to build service between South Station to Fall River and New Bedford. Do you think that's going to be a success? It's a, it's a long train ride. It is. And, uh, but the track down there, I used to operate down there with freight trains down in New Bedford, Fall River, and uh, a lot of the track is very, very straight. It could be, uh, a lot of it could be 80, 90 miles an hour. And, uh, the fact is that I think the state is doing the right thing by starting their, I think they call it phase one or whatever it is. They're going to drive, they're going to have the trains, uh, diesels, come out into Bedford Fall River and uh, go up the Middleborough line to Boston because the, the re, you know, the environmental reviews and the permits that are going to take uh, probably a decade or longer to, to get on the, uh, on the Stoughton line that goes through Easton down through Taunton, that's the preferred line. They'll be chasing those permits for 10 years, and in the meantime, this uh, this service will be up and running in uh, 
in probably two two years, three years tops, and it will. It beats Route 24. Uh, Route 24 is just uh, very dangerous. Very dangerous. High speed drivers wrecks crashes every day, and uh, so this, I guess the schedule is going to be an hour and a half from. Uh, New Bedford, which is not bad considering you're coming in there at 7 in the morning. And let me ask you about another thing that a lot of transit advocates are pushing, which is what they call regional rail, which is making the commuter rail more like a subway system where it's running periodic, periodically throughout the day so that you could show up much like you do at a subway station and you don't have to worry that if you miss this train, you have to wait two hours for the next one. There'll be another one in 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. Do you favor that as well? Yes, I do. One thing it costs, it'll cost a lot of money because you're going to have to have double the trains out there. But uh, my daughter lives in a little town in England, uh, 30 miles north of uh, London. And the only thing she has, she commutes to London every day. She's a marketing director at the University of London. And she only has to remember what time the first train leaves her town and what time the last one leaves London because they run every 15 minutes and it's really uh, convenient because you really technically you, you don't even need <laughs> a schedule if, you, if that's the way it is so it's terrific it, the system is well patronized and it's uh, it's typical Europe though that's uh, unlike this country that everyone I don't know that our trains are way way behind European, um, you know, high-speed trains and everything else. So I'm hoping that uh, we can get more frequent commuter rail. That's the number one complaint I hear, that, that trains, especially in the off-peak hours, and I've even uh, lobbied for uh, a discount in off-peak hours during the week. In other words, after rush hour is over, uh, you give the people a 20% off like they do down on the Long Island Railroad or Metro North. Those are the two biggest commuter lines in the United States. They give them bargains in the off-peak, so they'll, they'll, so they'll, use, they, they'll use the train in the off-peak. It's all about filling up seats. So uh, maybe someday. Richard Prone, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you. Thank you.